really comes back to that that opening day that really capsulizes everything. A golf course we think of as a recreational playground, but I think of it in addition as a consumer product. So when you spill your heart heart out and you spend a lot of money on a product, let's say, you don't know if it if it's any good until people are offered uh, it to to buy and use. So that first day and the bookings for the first year all told me that. America was ready for Lynx golf, even though it was in Bandon, Oregon, this truly remote place. And uh, that that made me feel that I had done a product, a architectural structural design that the American golfer, which and we, we number in the millions, really appreciated. That feels good. Put another log on the fire. Nobody here is getting tired. Welcome to the Fire Pit with Matt Janella. So I'm just back from my 25th trip to Bandon Dunes, which just happened to fall in between two episodes of this podcast on the building of Bandon. We refer to the old course as the home of golf. Some say Pinehurst is the cradle of American golf. And the book written about the building of Bandon Dunes is Dream Golf. Mike Kaiser's dream has become a nightmare for his competition. In 20 plus years of development of sand-based minimalism, the remote destination on the southwest coast of Oregon has quickly become what some might say is the best pure golf destination in the world, which is why I dedicated two parts to this story. As you recall from part one in the mid nineties, with 1200 acres of gorse choked dunes land, Mike Kaiser started looking for an architect who would do anything but what was being done in the United States. He stumbled upon David McClay Kidd, who was in his mid-twenties, and his father, Jimmy, who was the agronomist at Glen Eagles in Scotland. I gave what would be today a PowerPoint presentation, but I did it with poster boards and a Sharpie uh, pens, and I wrote down on these poster boards, you know, like no cart paths. Uh, and make you know they would walk, and that the fairways would be uneven, and uh, there'd be pot bunkers, and the clubhouse shouldn't be on the water's edge. It should, you know, the best green should be on the water's edge. I said to David, if we deviate at any any time uh, from offering Mike anything more than a true, and I mean a true uh, links experience, Irish links experience here, he will not hire us as architects. He will go elsewhere. Kaiser hired the kids to build it, and he hired Kemper Sports to manage it. He tapped Josh Lesnick, also in his 20s, to be the first general manager. Lesnick explains why Bandon was so unique in the U.S. Golf courses were being built close to people, you know, cl- close to cities. People didn't necessarily care about the site for golf. It could have mud and clay and rock under the soil, but if it were close to people and you could put houses around it, that's the kind of golf courses. People were building in the 90s, 80s, 90s in, in America. This was close to nobody. This is going back to the golden age when you'd look for the best site for golf. And, no, you know, no bank would finance it. No, no, everybody thought it was crazy. Mike's friends thought it was crazy. Mike thought it was crazy. Against all odds and swimming into the current of trends, Kaiser kept going one hole at a time. And on May 1st, 1999, on the eve of opening day, he reflected on what if 
all the doubters were right and he was wrong. You know, Josh and I discussed, you know, what happens if no one comes or what happens if we break even? Because we all had bets the first year how many rounds we would do. And 12,000 rounds is break even. And most of our bets about how many rounds we would do were less than 12,000 rounds. So in my group, no one thought we would break even. And the discussion, I remembered probably then the night before, well, if it doesn't work, I'll give it three years for it to catch on. And if it doesn't, we'll uh, turn it into a sheep ranch. The sheep ranch opened on June 1st, 2020, the fifth 18-hole golf course at Bandon Dunes. Plus, there's the preserve, a 13-hole par-3 course, shorties, another version of a par-3 course at the back of the range, and the punch bowl, a two-and-a-half-acre putting course, which you can play for free. Needless to say, I'm not even sure Kaiser could have dreamed something as big as what Bandon has become. But for now, let's go back to the beginning. We're back in Bandon. It's 1997, and word is out in the town of 3000 that there might be a golf course coming. Meet Mick Peters, a recreational golfer who has been barbering in Bandon for 54 years. In the shop, we said, oh yeah, they're going to build a world-class golf course. Uh, in band and who's going to come to band and to play golf. That was, that was the talk right off the bat. Bob Gaspar, also known as shoe because he looks like jockey Bill Shoemaker was a customer at mix hair surgeons. As the story went on, shoe came in and he was getting a haircut. He said, I'm going to go out there looking for a caddy master. He says, I'm going to go out and apply for that. I said, cool. So he did. And of course, as the sh- story went on again, he got it. And, he was in my shop again. I was gotten his hair and he says, man, that first day is uh, really filling up. I said, wow. I said, is the first tee taken yet? He said, I don't know, but I'm going back out there and I'll check and I'll call you. So he did. And he called me. He said, no, it's open. Hey, Mick, how would you like to be the first one off? I said, yes. And he said, you'll have to have a foursome. I said, that's cool. I can do that. Mike Peters, Mick's oldest son, is in. Dad called and said, I got the first tea time for Bandon Dunes. He says, you want to play? I'm like, sure. He's like, we need to find two more people. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we'll see if we can find two more people. Um, a friend of mine and his father-in-law uh, joined us and we showed up that morning and it was a typical Bandon day. It was raining cats and dogs. Uh, we showed up in our golf attire and they handed us uh, Gore-Tex golf rain stuff because it was pouring down rain. Josh Lesnick on a memorable day. Yeah, we opened on May 2nd, 1999. It was uh, rainy and I'd say 50s, maybe high 40s, low 50s. And um, we were booked from the first tee time to the last tee time, Um, you know, mostly Oregonians. It was kind of a regular day. We didn't do a big VIP invitational and invite. We, we, we just did whoever's going to make tea times. We're going to let them play on opening day. Mike Kaiser's plan was to be there and hand out the opening day coins to each player. David Kidd wasn't at opening day, but his father, Jimmy, who was in town collaborating with the maintenance team, stood next to Mike Kaiser and helped pass out coins to everyone who played that day. Opening day was the most surprising thing. I've been at a few opening days, and they were pretty big and pretty grand affairs. Well, the opening day at Bandon was anything but grand. 
anything but big. It was a wet, miserable day, if I remember rightly. It was a typical Scottish Lynx day. Shoe again with more details. It was a full ticket once again, I believe 248 people. And we didn't have any room, so everybody had to stay in town, either stay in town or just drive home again. Uh, local golf, local golf for us is Eugene and Portland. Nobody around here particularly, except for our golf club members, play golf here. Uh, I had made up bag tags for everybody, this big stack of bag tags, and I thought this would be cool, we're going to tag the bags. Once again, we didn't know what we were doing. Cars pulled up, but it wasn't just one car at a time, it was like, everybody pulled up. The tags went, boop, by the window, you know. <laughs> uh, it was pouring rain. Uh, Mike's up on the tee. Uh, it's, he's huddled down, everybody's trying to smile, all these people here to play golf, pouring. Um, Mick, the local barber, was the first player at Bandon Dunes that day, Mick Peters, and his sons uh, were the first ones to play, and they since have been the first ones to play every single opening, including the preserve um, of every golf course in Bandon. We're going to have a lot more on Mick Peters and his sons and their legacy at Bandon in episode 10 of The Fire Pit. But for now... Mick stays focused on his first tee shot of the first course. It was just, it was bigger than I expected. I didn't think there would be that many people there watching, and I was so nervous I couldn't hardly put the ball on the tee. Mike Peters has been second off on every new course at Bandon Dunes. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this, you know? Um, until we walked up onto the tee and then you saw out over the first tee and the whole course, it was like, you couldn't get me out of here. Yeah, I mean, this is just banning weather. It's yeah. a big deal. And it was an absolute gorgeous golf course. Um, and I, like I said, I'd never seen it. I had no idea what I was getting into um, until I stepped on that first tee and, and it, it really was awe-inspiring. As first off, Mick's tradition is to tee up a ball, and with his first swing, he only hits the ball a few feet. I do that, and then I have Mr. Kaiser sign it, and I put it away, and I uh, grab another ball, and I hit it again. But I am at, I'm the first guy that hits the ball. Um, there was only, there were, I'm not going to say the name, although I have in the past, there was one person that didn't show up the first day. It was one of my friends in town. And he decided it was too rainy and cold to show up. Every other person showed up. It was just one person who didn't show up. It was rainy and cold, no doubt. I'll give him a break, but everybody else played. Um, Name was, him. Uh, who is this guy? <laughs> he's a local. He's a friend. He's, he's, oh. he's a, uh, he was a friend until he didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> Shoe showed up, of course. What would Bandon be without Shoe? There was a big trailer, one of our local cranberry growers uh, brought a uh, barbecue trailer, backed it up back here, right back to where the, where the pub's at. He was cooking hamburgers and hot dogs for everybody. The rain finally stopped, sun came out, it turned beautiful. The uh, cranberry grower's name was Jack, and by the end of the day, because he had a bottle of Jack, hamburgers and hot dogs were flying everywhere, I swear, man. He, was, he went another one, boom, here it goes. It was great. It was the greatest experience because it was just, it was banded. Nothing fancy. You know, the hot dogs and hamburgers were free. Everybody had a great time once the rain stopped. It was extremely rewarding. It was, uh, it was really 
it was a really neat day and and um it was fun to see the staff all together and really have the customers out there it was great it's fun day jimmy kid on watching mike kaiser as his dream unfolded in front of them mike was relatively quiet uh, he was basically listening to what to what everyone was saying and everyone seemed to be happy to be there even before they had even before they'd hit a shot they were delighted to be there maybe it was the, the just the the atmosphere of a an opening day in a golf course but when they came back in my goodness the comments in the clubhouse and the atmosphere in the clubhouse was just out of this world it was an incredible day you could almost even today i could you can feel it here in the back of your neck standing up because you knew that something had happened to you in, in a place which was out in the middle of nowhere. So everything until opening day was uh, rough. And then from then on, the golfers took over. Guys like you, Matt, said, this is fun. Links golf, what we like. Even at that point, we weren't sure kind of what it would become. Um, by that point, though, we were quite sure our, our rounds were going to you know, exceed what our expectations were. The first year, because there was an article written in December of '97 by Bob Robinson, he, and he was a he was a well-known golf writer, and he wrote a story about Bannon Dunes. You know, almost six months before we opened, came out in December. We were set to start taking tee times January 1st of '98. The article comes out in December. The phone started ringing that day. Shu was in there answering him. The phone has not stopped ringing since that day. Uh, and I give a huge amount of credit to making that a reality to Josh. You know, he was the one that uh, got the message out there and got people to pay attention and come and look. And it was those first few people. I, I remember Brian Callan coming, who was with Golf Magazine at the time. And Josh and I played the back nine, I think, with him. And his reaction was my first uh, experience of an American golf journalist seeing this and saying, wow, this is different. And and that was all, as I remember it, that was all Josh. He was the one bringing these people and had those connections. Uh, and we were seeing that reaction happen because of his skills uh, delivering the message. What Josh got to do was uh, be fun and fun to be with and hire people and find caddies when everyone said you'll never find caddies and go to the Portland golf show and convince people that it's only four and a half hour drive. So Josh was great on publicity. David was great on building the golf course. And uh, Howard McKee was the, the magical uh, architect guy. So all systems are go. Bandon Dunes was open for business. And we learned in part one of this podcast, Kaiser had already bought the land that would become the second course on property. So I asked Mike, how soon after opening day of Bandon did he commit to Pacific Dunes, a Tom Doak design? Uh, almost immediately. I mean, it was within within days. <laughs> it was overwhelming. I mean, and let's give Josh credit for we uh, we uh, we opened in May, early May, nineteen ninety nine, and when we then the opening day, we knew that we had bookings. Whether people would actually show up, we didn't know. But as the days ticked by, we realized that all the bookings we had were going to become real rounds that people would drive and fly from who knows where to make it, make it a success. So I'd say within the first two months, if not the first couple of weeks, Josh and I and Howard all said, yeah, let's go. 
because we opened uh, opened Pacific Dunes in 2001, two years later. So that tells you that we did lickety split on the second golf course. Last year, on May 2nd, 2019, David Kidd was on the first tee for the 20th anniversary of Bandon Dunes. You know, it's amazing to think that in 20 years with 50,000 approximately visitors per year, we're looking at a million individuals have now visited Bandon Dunes. Sure, some of them visit every year, but the, the number I use is a, a million people, a million golfers have visited Bandon Dunes now over the first 20 years. Now, that's pretty amazing. Uh, I, I think it awakened in American golfers willingness to accept nature, that golf through nature is what golf is truly meant to be. Uh, that's why uh, we've seen golf move away from being ornate uh, and overly manicured and become far more natural. It speaks to our uh, current ethos that we want things to be sustainable and have less inputs, less chemicals, less uh, less of everything so that nature can take a hold. Uh, and Bandon Dunes was the uh, ground zero for that in America 20 years ago. But as Shu explains, the impact of this resort goes a lot deeper than some of the natural sand bunkers throughout the property. And, you know, it's really basically made the town come alive. Uh, and not only Bandon, but Coos County, uh, actually the entire state of Oregon. Uh, almost, well, no, it's true. It's true because it, it, look how many, there's so many people that would never venture west of the Mississippi River that are coming here. And they've never been to the Pacific Northwest. I mean, this place is this place is beautiful. I mean, it just is. Um, and so this has brought people here that heretofore would never have come this way. But almost almost everybody in town in the county gets a check from Band and Dunes um, for one thing or another. You know, newspapers, flowers, coffee, you know, uh, meat, you name it, and they get a check. Uh, and that doesn't even take into consideration a payroll for 640 in staffers and then an additional uh, 300 to 350 caddies that goes out into the community. I think, Matt, you know, for for Mike and I, the one thing we always say to each other is we look at each other and like, can you believe this? You know, because we... I, it's hard to say, you know, like we didn't look at Band of Dunes as a business every day. We we didn't, but we knew we were opening a business and you can't do things stupid. We, we were doing it for the love of the game, but it was still a business. And, you know, to to budget to do 10,000 rounds the first year and end up doing close to 30,000. And now, you know, multiply those numbers by the five courses now. And, and it's like, we still can't believe it. I, I can't believe it. Mike can't believe it. I mean, there's no way you could have imagined that it would become what it's become. It's, you know, thankfully to the work the architects did and, and the site selection. And it's, uh, it's, I still have to pinch myself. Some final reflections from several key players who have helped make Bandon so special. We'll start with Josh Lesnick, followed by David Kidd. I've been involved with a number of other places, and but Bandon is is uh, 
yeah, it's home. It's my home away from home. It's my happy place. I love, you know, the second you step foot on that property and breathe in that air and then get to play those golf courses um, and Bandon Dunes being my favorite golf course anywhere uh, in the world. Yeah, there's, I don't know that anything could ever take over Bandon Dunes. It's my favorite place in the world. I never tire of talking about Bandon Dunes. Uh, I never tire of every visit I make. Uh, I especially love it when I get to take Bandon virgins uh, there who are not Bandonistas yet. Uh, to experience the place with a newbie uh, is still a huge kick. And I know it's the same for you guys. I mean, taking, I probably take at least one or two eightsomes to band in a year. And in that eightsome, I try and make sure there's at least one or two virgins uh, and introduce them to the place and know that it's just blowing their minds. And that's such fun to be part of, to see that wonder again and experience it through someone else's eyes, seeing it for the first time. I'll never, ever tire of that. Kid and Lesnick again on what they learned from working with Mike Kaiser. You know, he is the master of uh, cutting through the BS and getting to the heart of the matter. Uh, he, he simplifies things to their absolute core really, really quickly, better than anybody I've ever met before. I could be doing mental gymnastics trying to figure something out and I could call Mike and it'd be like, he could figure it out in a second and get to the get to the bottom of it and it's he keeps things really really simple and accomplishes amazing things um yeah i mean that would that would you know everything nothing he never wanted to see anything that was more than one page if you sent him anything more than one page it was too much too complex just don't do it don't send it to him <laughs> so i mean working with him you know as i said earlier I think one of his many legacies, um, and it, it's all, you know, it, it's opinion and it, people can look back, but I, I feel like he's, with each architect he's worth, worked with, each golf course architect, they may have built their best golf course with working with Mike Kaiser. I, I think that's part of his, his brilliance is just working with people and um, working with the artists, um, David and, and Tom Doak and Bill Core and um, you know, and keeping it simple and just achieving incredible things. It, it, amazing, amazing to work with them. I asked them both, what if there was no Mike Kaiser in your life? I would still like to think that I would have uh, found my way in, in golf course design, but I wouldn't have the, uh, you know, the Band and Dunes uh, logo on my shirt and that would have made it much much harder and uh, uh the road would have been a lot longer uh but i would still want to believe that i would have uh managed to be a a force a relevance in golf course architecture uh you know there were a number of other projects that i managed to get in and around you know i, I was on numerous sites that are now uh, world beater golf courses. You know, I was at Friar's Head that Kirk Crenshaw did two years before they got there. Uh, I was on numerous others, the Preserve in Carmel. I was on that site before Fazio did it. Uh, so there were lots of other projects that I was managing to, to squeeze myself into one way or another. So I would like to think that I would have made a break somehow, some way, 
Uh, and I, I think Josh would have too. I, I think we, we both were full of piss and vinegar. And one way or another, we would have made it. Uh, I've, I've never had to. I'm afraid to think about that. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think I, I, I'm not sure I would have found what I truly love about the game of golf um, and the business of golf without Mike. I, I, I don't know. It would have taken a long time. I didn't I didn't go play golf in Scotland until I was 40 years old. Um, and, and it would have taken me a lot longer to find out what I loved about the game. Uh, if it weren't for Mike Kaiser, I, I mean, it, it's, uh, I think he's done that for a lot of Americans probably who have now gone to Bandon and, and gone on to play Sand Valley and, and kind of seen, um, dream golf and what makes the game of golf so lovable. I, so I, I, I don't want to think about what it would be like with no Mike Kaiser and no Bandon Dunes. Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw just opened their third course for Mike Kaiser at Bandon Dunes. They've built seven courses for what's referred to as the Dream Golf Portfolio and are under construction on their eighth, Cabot St. Lucia. That accounts for almost a third of what Core and Crenshaw have built from scratch. Core and then Crenshaw on the overall impact of Mike Kaiser. We've gotten so far away more than our fair share of really special sites, and a great number of those have come from Mike Kaiser. Uh, he, he's been, he is simply the most incredible and should be the most highly acclaimed golf developer in the world. And uh, he, the products that he puts out there and the care that he puts into them is just beyond comparison. And he finds these sites. It goes back to that 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 nucleus of playing golf on sandy, firm ground. And in Mike's case, at least until Sand Valley, it was always about somewhere near the sea. Um, he just finds it to be it's a it's a connection to 500 years of golf history. And he he just I think he believed him before he started doing these golf developments that that was a connection that would resonate with American golfers as well as European and other other nationality golfers and he he brought it to us he gave us the opportunity to experience that and he was right I mean it's a it's a it may be the oldest form of golf in the world but I think it's still the most appreciated maybe it was his first trips over the British Isles and you know, people make a journey to go see those golf courses in the way they are, in, the, in their natural state. Uh, but Mike was after some sandy ground and picturesque ground, no matter where it was. And he was going to tap into that golfer who wants to travel, much like, you know, a, a surfer or a sailor that would go to remote places around the world to, to enjoy their avocation. Uh, you know, you, you've heard surfers going, you know, to Tierra del Fuego, to, you know, who, who knows where in, in the Pacific to go find that wave and, and, and that experience. And that's, golfers have a way of, you know, if, they, if they're 
one or two groups that travel together and get to a place and enjoy golf, that's, that's who he's after. And he's really done a great job uh, with that. It's the repeat customer uh, in, in places that eat, sleep, and drink golf. Uh, and Bill and I are just the recipient of, of his outreach. We, we can't thank Mike enough. And, and Mike, you know, extends to all the other architects that we know, and they've done a great job too. So it, 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 it it's, it's pretty unique and we're very honored to be part of that. I get uh, two kinds of letters uh, from men in particular. Um, ladies are, are beginning to go up there, but there's still a small minority of people who play men. So the, the letters I see go into two categories. The buddies trip. Oh, it's great. Here's a photo. We had a fabulous time. There are 8, 12. Will you do it? 8, 12, 16 of you. I like those stories. They're basically all the same, saying we had a fabulous time, even though it rained or even though it was gorgeous. Outside. Where's the wind? Uh, there's always a wrinkle, but the the buddies have a great time, and many of them come back year in and year out. But the ones that really get me are the father-son trips, uh, which are fewer than the buddy trips, but those are very heartfelt. You know, I, like, you know, I, I, we came all the way from Boston. It's been one of my life streams. The father writes to me that I can take my sons to Bannon Dunes, and we did, and we had a glorious time, and don't know if we'll do it again, but it was just fabulous being with my sons or a lot of father's sons make it a foursome or eights. And <clears throat> so I've got a soft spot because I have two sons and four kids. They all like being in dunes. So I like the father-son, father-daughter letters in particular. I ask every guest on the fire pit to share their favorite fire pit and give me a reason or two why do you have one uh, it's probably the one at grove cottage yeah we're building one right now for uh, and i haven't seen it at sheep ranch so it's got it's going to have some grove cottages doesn't really have a view you're just part of nature and the one at uh, sheep ranch is going to be resplendent with uh, the visuals you'll be overlooking the golfers so wait until you see that. Right now, it's the Grove Cottages. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, the the putting course at Gamble Sands, uh, on the far side of it, uh, is a fire pit that looks uh, down into the Columbia River Gorge uh, and out to the North Cascade Mountains. Uh, and it is by far my favorite fire pit. Joshy? My favorite fire pit experience, again, you know, after the the playoff in the Uncle Tony Invitational and winning, you know, I, I think you'll recall I came into the fire pit pretty hot that night. And I mean, any fire pit where Joe Horowitz is playing music should be my favorite. But that night, um, you know, it was that was a pretty special occasion. I appreciated your advice and that night and uh, we really we enjoyed the fire pit. And we enjoyed Joe and that's that fire pit abandoned dudes near the Grove Cottages is my favorite fire pit, no doubt. That's the inspiration for this podcast, as I've said before. Without that fire pit, I don't know that we even have a podcast called The Fire Pit. I mean, that's how special that fire pit is. Are you looking for good value on great golf apparel? 
As a listener to this podcast, my friends John Ashworth and Jeff Cunningham at Link Soul in Oceanside, California, are offering you a 25% discount on all future orders of what I wear all day, every day, on and off the course. Whenever you go to linksoul.com, just use promo code MATTYG25, M-A-T-T-Y-G-25. Thank you for listening to The Fire Pit. It's produced by Alex Upegi. It's edited by Rex Lint. The theme song is by Joe Horowitz. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, and we might track you down and send you one of our new Imperial Ropats. Got a question, comment, or a story for us to track down? You can find me on Twitter at Matt Janella or on Instagram at Matt underscore Janella. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to The Fire Pit on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to a story like this one. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is where we post portions of our podcast and add some visual surprises.